We're going to read this morning from the book of Matthew. So please do open it with me to Matthew chapter 16. And Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13 this morning. And then in a little while, Philip's going to come and open it up to us as he preaches from it. So Matthew chapter 16 this morning, if you're lifting a pew Bible, it'll be found on page 983 this morning. Page 983. So Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to begin to read at verse 13. And we know that we can trust every word of this because it is God's word to us, and we thank him for it. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, Others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's good to see you all. It's lovely to be in Hill Street this morning. Some familiar faces and some not so familiar, some peculiar and not so peculiar. But uh, it's really good to be here this morning. It's great to have the camaraderie and the unity of ministers in the town. Um, Nigel is not just a fellow minister, but he's a good friend. And so we love that, and we, uh, we, we often say that um, we need to know how to speak well of one another and how to build each other's churches up. I wonder why George Whitfield didn't go to Portadown, John. <laughs> John didn't seem to tell us that. I didn't know he came to Lurgan. I learned something this morning. I didn't know that. So uh, there you go. Maybe he wasn't brave enough to go to Portadown, John. You could have went to Vinnie Cash. Uh, so... Um, I, I, I was actually one of those moments this morning when Peter was praying for me when you put your elbows in your knees. You ever do that when you're praying? You know, when you put your elbows in your knees and you look down? I was asked to speak at a conference not that long ago, well, a good little while ago, and I was um, in, the, in the sort of the pre-prayer meeting before the conference, and the guy was praying for me. I put my two elbows in my knees and realized I had a black and a gray shoe on. Um, <laughs> So uh, it was one of those moments where you hook about in the wardrobe to get your shoe and hadn't realized at that moment, and then, oh, it was awful, but um, had to preach with a black and a gray shoe. But it wasn't just that. It was greeting people at the door at the end, and you just thought everybody was looking at this, but uh, I think they were, actually. Um, I want to talk to you this morning, just in the time we've left, about the church, because the church is a great thing. The church is not just uh, our idea. The church, uh, we, we read this, this great phrase that um, Jesus um, made himself, I will build my church. We're going to look at that in a moment or two. 
I grew up in a, in a sort of builder supplier's home. My dad owned a quarry, and many of you know that, and industry, building industry, and all of that. Hence, the hearing aids um, came before we uh, knew you had the common sense to wear hearing, hearing protection. But um, when, whenever I was sort of in my teens, about 17, 18, my brother and I, my brother who's two years older than me, him and I were, we were in charge of the block yard. So we built, we made concrete blocks. And this will mean nothing to most of you, I'm sure, but um, we had, we, we made them, they're made in 44 in a batch. And then when the concrete hardened, we, hardened, we had the job of lifting these and stacking them into, into piles. And him and I, Kenny and I, just decided that we would try and up the game a little bit. And so rather than this fork lift, just lift one bale of blocks, we thought we could triple that. Not double it, but we thought we could triple it. So we went to the engineer and we said, could we make a, a block grab that would lift three piles instead of one? They said, look, no way it would work. It wouldn't work. Um, you'll never get a forklift to lift that many and we said, me and my brother, who was, I'm 17, he's 19, we said, look, if you design the grab, we'll get the forklift to lift it, and dad will pay for it. <laughs> so they designed this grab that actually they still use today. We should have patented it, but we didn't. But they actually still use this grab today. And um, we designed it. And so um, I keep telling Kenny, I designed it, but we designed this grab, and the day it was ready, I went to my dad's master pickup, and, and we picked up the grab, and we brought it home, and, and we connected it to the forklift, and we began to, and I was so proud of this thing. This was my invention, you see, and it was all steel, and, and it had hydraulic hoses and hydraulic rams, and it sort of did this sort of stuff. It clamped in blocks, and it lifted them, and it stacked them into piles, and sort of all did all these wonderful actions, but it was my invention, and I was really proud of it. I uh, met my wife, Jill, at school, and uh, we got engaged when I was 17, got married when I was 19. And, and when I was 21, on the 2nd of September, 1979, our first daughter was born, um, Lisa Kernigan, as she is now. And uh, it was 10 past five on a Sunday night, and whenever they cut her little umbilical cord, she began her lungs filled with air for the first time, and she began to breathe, and she began to beat the air, and she began to scream. She's been doing it for almost 40 years now, still at it. Um, and, and it was incredible. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I forgot my invention. I forgot the thing that I was so proud of. I forgot this invention of mine because all of a sudden I was looking at a creation. This was something that I had invested in. This was part of my DNA. This was my creation. Jill and I had created this together and the invention was sort of forgot about. And my question to you this morning or this afternoon is this. Is the church a creation or is the church an invention? Is the church something that man thought up or is it something that God created? That's the big thing. Confidence in the church has never probably been at an all-time low in institutionalized church today across our little nation. Politics isn't that wonderful either. We've got Brexit. Oh, dear. Let's not start. Um, 
Uh, America's not having fun in politics either. We have a war in Syria with more refugees that are seeking asylum than the world seems to be able to cope with. And I'm just glad today that God is in control. I'm glad today that we've got this incredible thing called the church. It's sort of a crazy idea, the church. 2,000 years ago, we have this guy who, who uh, had a dozen followers. He wasn't married. He didn't have a a job as such. He worked for his dad as a carpenter. Then he went out to preach a little bit. You know who I'm talking about. He grew up in a home probably in around the same size of the place where you parked your car this morning. And all of that home wouldn't have been for family. Probably part of it was for animals as well. And yet in his legacy, he has the largest legacy in the world, period. Time magazine called him the man of the millennium, the most important man who has ever lived, recognized by Christians and non-Christians alike. More songs have been sung about, more paintings have been painted of, more books have been written about Jesus than anybody else in the world. He didn't have Facebook, he didn't have Twitter, he never heard of Periscope or email, he didn't have a business card, he didn't have a, his, uh, an office with his name on the door, but hin- even history hinges around this man, A.D., B.C., everything revolves around him, and it's this man, it's this man who pretty early on in his ministry announced what we are going to talk about this morning on our slide. It was this man who announced, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against. Imagine that. Imagine a 30-year-old unemployed guy who's single, having grown up in a rural community, saying something like this to 12 guys. You'd have been out with Twitter saying, just met this crazy guy who thinks he's going to change the world. And for all the views that exist, for all the views that exist today around the globe, it is my opinion, and I think that of many, that, that he thinks something very powerful about this church. Here we are, 2,000 years later, standing and sitting in Hill Street Presbyterian Church, and we are, we are the church. We have taken on His name, Christ ones, little Christs. That's what the word Christian means. And so the church is not a building. It's not a club. It's not a committee. It's not man-made. It's not an invention. It's not defined on man's terms. It's not particular worship style or a denomination. It is a creation. It was his idea from the beginning. Here's the big idea on the screen. The big idea is the church is the sovereign will of God. It is the purpose of God and the central fact of his will. It's all about him. It was his idea. It says, Psalm 127, one I think it is, says, unless the Lord builds a house, we labor in vain that build it. We're, we're, we're knocking our head against a wall if we're trying to do it by systems, and, and, and systems are important in their place. But we need to know this, that God is the builder. Jesus is the builder. He's always building. He's always, we tend to think that he stopped at creation. He's always building. He was building in the six days of creation. He started in Genesis 12 to build a nation that he said was going to rule the world. He said in, in 1 Peter 2 that he was going to build a church out of living stones, not blocks, like I used to make, not all the same shape, all the same. You've probably noticed by now the church is full of pretty peculiar people. Look to your right and left right now. 
full of peculiar people. We're all different, living stones, all different shapes, different sizes, making up that wall. And then John 14 tells us that he didn't even stop there, but right now, at this moment in time, he's building somewhere for us to dwell forever. That's the King of Kings. That's the Lord. So, so what I want to do this morning, I'm going to take 10 minutes, all right? And I'm going to fire through some stuff. They're going to be on the screen. And I'm going to talk to you about the way Jesus builds the church, because that's the model. This is what he taught the New Testament church. This is what he taught in Acts 2. And this is what you do. And so it's just to encourage you today about what's happening here. This is a great church here in Hill Street. First thing I want to say is that Jesus builds the church prophetically. He makes a, a declaration of what will be. The Greek word means to build a house. When it talks about building, to build a house, helping to make it strong and sturdy. You see, living things grow. Lives must change. Disciples must be made. The kingdom must be advanced. And Jesus promised that this thing called the church would be invasive. It would be systematic. It would be always growing. You see, for a movement to be a movement, it has to keep moving. Sorry, that sounds a bit lurking or poured it down. But for a movement to be a movement, it has to keep moving. But many of our movements have stopped years ago, and they become institutionalized and static and unmovable. But we're part of a movement. We're part of something that's living and growing and moving. And so he builds it prophetically. The second thing he does, he builds it purposefully. I will build. He states his focus cause. He says, I will. This, this is a statement of purpose. There's a lot of things Jesus could have been doing, but this one thing he said he would do, he said, I will build my church. I love this. There's a, 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 a piece out of John Criswell's book. I love this. He says, Criswell says this, God's main intention in human history is to reunite himself with a world that is estranged by sin. And all that he's doing in space and time is an effort to further that desire. So he builds prophetically, he builds purposefully, and he builds personally. He builds personally my church. He says, I will build my church as a statement of ownership, as a statement of personal value for God so loved the world. Ephesians actually tells us that he exhorts husbands to love their wives like what? Like Christ loved the church. It says in Psalm 66 verse 8 that God sets and places families lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free, and he gives them joy. He talks about 1 Corinthians 12, our body having many parts, all sort of this idea of the church. So he builds it personally. He builds it prophetically. He builds it purposefully, but he builds it passionately. Sorry for all the peas, but I'm a brethren boy. So uh, the gates of hell, he says, will not prevail against it. Nothing is going to stop this. You see, the reality is there's two opposing kingdoms. We know that, don't we? We know that we, we, were, we were once part of a kingdom of darkness, and now Colossians tells us that we've been transferred into the kingdom of His dear Son. And if you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you are a part of a kingdom of darkness, and you need to be transferred. 
And the easiest way to be transferred is through this word that says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. This is so powerful. And so when we come into this new kingdom, two things are sure and certain. Number one is the certainty of conflict. There was a World War bomber who said that if you're taking flak, you're probably over the target. And so if you're taking flak this morning, you're probably over the target. There's something. So there's a certainty of conflict in the Christian life, but there's a promise of victory. And so this idea of this church that he's building passionately, even though stuff's coming against it, we've got Jesus on our side. And C.S. Lewis says this in his analogy of Christianity. He says, ever since Christ's ascension, his church army is engaged in a mopping up operation. The church militant, so long as she is the church obedient, will be the church triumphant as well. Wow, isn't that amazing? I think even the Presbyterians could say amen to that this morning. That is incredible, isn't it? We are the church triumphant. So this church grows. 2,000 years of history tells us this. God sent His Holy Spirit into an upper room, came upon people. The first day Peter got up to preach, 3,000 people got saved and baptized in the one day. And so what do we do? How do we, how do we see this happening? This church grows. Here's a few things. We've got to keep loving God passionately. It says in Acts 2 that all the believers devoted themselves. It's up there somewhere, is it? No, it won't come. Can they all come on? No. Okay, that's my fault. Okay, I'll tell you them, all right? Don't worry, not on the screen. Loving God passionately. The second one is honoring the Scriptures. I love this church that honors the Word of God, teaching the Word of God, living Spirit-filled lives, knowing that our lives are filled with the Holy Spirit, connecting with a purpose, that we're not just doing church, we're not just playing games, but we're connecting with purpose. We're growing disciples. That's what the Bible calls us to do. All the believers devoted themselves, reaching people everywhere in our community and building churches strategically. There's something very powerful about that. And then our next slide, if it comes on, that work? Yes, I love this little, from Frank DiMaggio, who's a friend of mine in Portland, Oregon. And he says this, the church that Jesus had in mind gathers together, but also dissembles itself and goes into the cracks and crevices of society in order to share Christ with the world. Now, isn't that brilliant? I keep putting Frank's name to it because it keeps saying, Frank, I'm going to steal that. Some of these said, I'm going to stop putting your name to it and let on I read it. But uh, there's, there's something so powerful about that. We, we come together like this, but it's not just to keep for ourselves. Then we, we leak into the cracks and crevices of our works, our schools, our, our universities, wherever, and we make Christ known to the world. And so this is what happened in this early church that began to grow, and, and it would get persecution, and it would begin to get pushed out of its comfort zone, out into the environment. And, and, and here we are, 2,000 years later, and over five decades now of being a Christian, I, and being part of a particular church history tells me that the gospel still works, and lives are still changing, and the church is still growing, and it all stemmed from 120 people in an upper room somewhere in Jerusalem to 2 billion, 2.2 billion people, they reckon, in the world today. You go back 100 years, they reckon there was about 600 million, right? 
So the church has grown by one and a half billion in a hundred years. Now, if you work that out pro rata, it's 15 million people a year. 15 million people a year over the past hundred years have said yes to Jesus. This is incredible. This church is growing. Something's powerful. And so the question that we started with is this. Is it, a, is it an invention or is it a creation? We could never invent something like this. We're not smart enough to do something like this. This is the creative power. It's not, it's not professional. It's personal. Sometimes we question that. Are we a number or are we a name? And while at a time we get it wrong, people get it wrong, and churches get it wrong, and leaders get it wrong, we're, we're human. But, but this is the church that Jesus is building. And I tell you, uh, if you take it in reference to Noah's Ark, it might get a little bit smelly inside, but it's a whole lot better than what's going on outside. This is a powerful thing, this thing called the church. Now, as we bring this to a conclusion, let me, let me throw a slide up here. Don't worry, I'm not going to read this, all right? Just in case you're thinking, oh, look in your magnifying glass. I wanted to put it all on one screen because it's the last chapter of Romans, chapter 16 of Romans. And Paul writes this incredible book to the churches at Rome. That's a very, very powerful, and if you're a Bible studier, it's a great book to study. But as he closes it out, he actually sends a powerful message to the church by taking time to mention, I've highlighted in there, you can take my word for it, there's 28 names there. He, he, he takes his time at the end of, of this incredible book to highlight 28 unknowns that are mentioned nowhere else in the Scripture, really. Some of them, maybe a few of them are, but most of them not mentioned anywhere else in the Scripture. Why does Paul do this? He even mentions, if you see just about three-quarters way down, he, he, he talks about this woman, uh, this man, Rufus, chosen the Lord, and his mother, who's been a mother to me. Why does he do this? Why, well, i tell you why he does. He takes this time to make a mention to these 28 unknowns, I think, to let us know that people are important. People are important. And here's a couple of little thoughts just to close it off. All right, next slide. You need to know this this morning. If you're sitting in Hill Street, God knows your name. He knows everything about you. He knows every detail. He builds this church. He builds it purposefully. He builds it passionately. He builds it prophetically. And he knows every single thing about you. I love this. And, and, and it shouted from the rooftops that we are the church. Secondly, you are important. You are important. Jesus believes in you, and so do we. Uh, you, you, you look at the, the 12 people that, that Jesus chose. Not one of us, not one of them would really impress us. Some were, were just uneducated workmen. Several rough fishermen spent their times out in open boats, open boats catching fish and, and, and repairing their nets on the shores. The, these, these, but they were important. I, I read this many years ago from a journalist called Beverly Everett Steele, or Beverly Steele Everett, and she wrote this way back in 1983. She made an observation that God wasn't perfect, sort of raised the hackles in people when she said that little statement. And here was her observation. She said, God mustn't be perfect because he must be tone deaf. He's so tone deaf that he thinks the off-key singing of Jesus Loves Me by a five-year-old is as beautiful as a solo from the Messiah by a trained soprano. 
He said, God can't count, because if he could count, he would know better than to accept the 20 pence from a preschooler with the same joy that he accepts a thousand pounds donation from a rich person. He said, God can't concentrate. He can listen to millions of prayers all at the same time instead of concentrating on the rich and famous. And then she concluded, she says, God is poor eyesight. He doesn't see us as we are, but keeps seeing us as we could be. She's playing around with a little bit. We know that. But what she was saying was the high and mighty people of this world are not the ones who just impress God. Instead, he's impressed by those who are active members of her church, and he honors them as they honor him by giving their lives, who have joined with the billions throughout time who build this church. And lastly, your part is essential. And that's my question to you as we bring this to a conclusion. This creation, not an invention, not something mechanical, not something cold and impersonal, but something very, very prophetically powerful. And, and as we come together, my little observation as I, I conclude and, and, um, is this. O- over the years, 23 years now from we planted Emmanuel in Lurgan, and, and I've been part of church from I was a boy and, and came from the brethren, and I was a coal man in Craig Evan and and. and Many of you know my story. I, I worked as a coal man in Craig Evan and, and worked amongst brokenness and drug abuse and alcohol abuse, and, and I just didn't know what to do with the people. And I felt I couldn't bring them to where I belonged, not that, not that they wouldn't have been loved. I just don't think they would have known what to do with them. And my wife, Jill, was alive at the time, and, and, and I always said Jill was the accelerator and I was the brake. And she said to me, she said, Phil, why don't you just bring them home? Why don't we just do something with them in the house. I never intended to plant a church. I'd never set out with a strategy plan to plant a manual church. I just had some broken people. And we started a meet in our home. And, and the very first morning we met was the 8th of September, 1996. There was, there was like um, eight of us in the room. Six of those were, were, were my family and, and a couple of them friends and, 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 and two teenage girls. And they arrived back next Sunday, and they brought some more with them. And by Christmas time, we had about 30 broken, just broken people. And, and I remember Jill and I falling on our knees at Christmas time, and this was our prayer. We said, God, could you send us some normal people? And, uh, and he, he, here, here's my little conclusion. What I've noticed change over the years is that as churches, what we've done is we've, we've, we've done what I call VTR. We, we pronounce our vision, and then we see who's got tasks, who's got gifts, and then maybe we'll make a few friends along the way. So it's vision, task, relationship. So we pronounce our vision, we find out who's gifted, and maybe, just maybe, we'll make a few friends along the way. And I think, I think the church that God ordains the other way around I think it's RTV. I think it's relationships. And it's finding relationships and being friends and doing this thing called church together. And then you're sitting over a meal with somebody and you realize, oh, wow, you have a gift to do that. Well, I didn't realize that. Man, come on, we could, we, let's get this vision going. Let's do this together. And maybe we just got it back to front a little bit. And so my challenge to you is this, as we rewrite the story of the city, and the big idea is that this church is the sovereign will of God. It's the purpose of God, and it's the central fact of His will. 
all the things he could have been doing. He said, I will build the church. I'm going to pray. Our guys are going to come and lead us in a song, and then John will close us off. Let's pray. Father, we, we, we love you for this church. We love you for this church in Hill Street. We love you for what you've done over the, over the years, the decades, and the centuries of, of, of the history of a place like this. Thank you this morning for just being able to be part of this worship. feel privileged and honored to be here this morning. And Father, I, I ask you that you would just bless, that, you would, that the word that's went forth this morning, that you would just instill into every heart that we'd realize that we're not part of an invention, that we're not part of something cold and, 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 and something that's, that's, that's not personal, but we're actually part of a creation, and it's the greatest creation ever. It was you who said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Father, if there are any in this room that don't know you today, I pray that they will realize that this is a great thing to be part of and accept your son, Jesus Christ, as their savior today. In Jesus' name, amen. Can I say that just, um, I know the leaders here, I, if, you, if you have any questions, I'll be about, but they'll be about. And, and if you don't know Jesus today, I know that that's, um, I, I don't know many of your faces, but if you don't know him today, you can. You can be part of this incredible thing called the church, and I'd love you to come and chat to some of them. The Lord bless you.